Welcome back, Greenies. This is JP Gooderham, your host of Fear the Wave Cast, and you are back with us for season two, episode one. That is right. We are back to do a week by week breakdown on Green Wave action, and we are doing it today from Newport, Rhode Island. Yes, we are here for AAC Media Days for the fourth consecutive year because we want to bring you the action. We know that it can be tough to get some of the good Green Wave perspectives. So we want to do it here. And it's not just an opportunity to talk to the coaches and to talk to the players. Troy Dannon, our athletic director, is on site. I ran into him last year and I thought, man, why didn't I get him on the podcast? It's season two. It's time to turn it up a notch. And that means that Troy Dannon is going to be joining us for this episode. I'm just going to let you know right now, we had a great conversation. I learned a lot about his vision for the program and also about some of the the big newsworthy items that we saw come out over the summer, ranging from launching a new team like Sailing to uh, some intrigue and some more answers from the discussions around the LSU series in baseball. So you're going to want to stick around. Troy's going to give us a lot of perspective, and I'm, I'm really excited about his vision. But I do want to give you a couple of housekeeping notes. We will have coverage going on on the Fear the Wave blog, Twitter, and on Facebook this week from AAC Media Days. If you're listening to this uh, later on, the event's happening on Tuesday primarily. We'll have interviews with the players and pictures and all that good stuff. So make sure to be checking that out. Now, second, if you follow us on Twitter, you may know that I've been kind of plugging something, getting the hype up a little bit, that I've had a summer project that I've been working on. It's been like an obsession, man. It's, it's something that I've really tried to do a good job on. I'll show my hand a little bit. I'm going to be doing a multi-part series that is a documentary on a key Green Wave football moment. And I don't want to overpromise, but I think the first episode is going to be ready next week. I'm working with our audio producer to get that done. That's right. It's going to have some editing. It's going to be really cool. So my suggestion to you is if you're listening to this on SoundCloud or somewhere else, make sure you're subscribed because once this comes out, I'll start pushing the episodes out. Trust me, it's going to be something that you don't want to miss. So that's it for now. Make sure you're subscribed. If you like the show, we always appreciate your reviews. Uh, We typically look at those on Apple. So if you're listening through Apple's podcast app, make sure to leave a review for Fear of the Wavecast. Let's jump into the interview and figure out where the state of Tulane is as we go into 2018. Stay angry, my friends. All right, folks, so I'm very fortunate right now to be sitting next to Tulane Athletic Director Troy Dannon. We're live in Newport, Rhode Island for AAC Media Days. Uh, Troy, how's your time here been? How are things going? You know, it, it was, it's been 73 degrees, and there's a nice sea breeze, and, and uh, it rains, so the humidity's up, but it's, it's a little bit of a contrast from the 100 degrees that's going on in New Orleans right now, but uh, it's, it's a great getaway. It's, it's a neat thing. You know, five of our guys get to come up here, and this is a place that, you know, Newport's an interesting city. It's, you know, it's wealth and historical wealth and so much history, but it's, it's one of the things you sell about athletics. What it does is it's giving five guys a chance to come to a different part of the world and, and get experienced to some things they never otherwise would have seen. Yeah, I think that's, you know, we, we've done this event a few times. You love coming up here. It's actually the last one I think that's going to be in Newport before they move to Dallas. But what, what's been your favorite thing about coming up for, for this version of it in Newport other than the weather? Well, you know, the, the, the clam bake, basically the, the lobster bake, is, is what makes this thing unique. And, you know, how do you get the attention of a lot of the national media players when the Big Ten days are going on, when Pac-12 days are going on, and how do you not get lost? And I think Newport has allowed us to not get lost. There'll be a lot of the, the major hitters. You know, I'm playing golf with Pete Thamel, uh, you know, from Yahoo Sports. So a lot of the major hitters come to our event because of where it's at, which I think is pretty cool. It's also a chance. We we have AD meetings. Um, uh, 
Sunday and Monday. So uh, maybe one last gasp before we get into the, the start of the upcoming year and make sure we're all on the same page and ready to go because it's the league is still an infant and, and we probably meet more than most other leagues, but it's, it's we're still trying to find our own way and, and make sure that that you know, we talk about power six, but you know, how do you make sure you're distanced from the other four and making sure if we're not all running in the same for the same goal and the same target, we got a problem. So, as much as we're together, it's a good thing for us where we're at right now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a, a bit of a curveball. I was thinking about this coming over because you know I, I try to follow Tulane very closely. We've been doing this for a while. How would you describe a day in the life of an athletic director? Like what I know right now, you're in you're in Newport. You you know you had a meeting with uh, you know Tulane fans yesterday. What's like a normal Monday for you at this point? Well, the best thing about the job in general is whatever your calendar says. When you wake up in the morning, it means absolutely nothing because you don't know what surprise awaits. Uh, you know, my phone is never on silent at night either because you never know what call is coming at 12 o'clock at night. This happened to one of your student athletes, or or here was an accident. You know, I've over the, I've been an athletic director for now I'm in my 11th year. I've had calls where a kid got stabbed. I've had calls where a coach was on a recruiting trip and got into a bad accident, and and so you just you, you just never know. You worry about the unknown. Uh, you know, so much of the job for me at Tulane has been internal. Uh, much more than I expected. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time on personnel. I'm, I would say 50% of my time has been well, personnel related over the, the really the first couple of years. The last six months been a lot more external. I've been getting on the road a lot more, uh, a lot of traveling, but uh, you know, meetings, traveling, meetings, traveling. And if I have a block of time where I don't have something scheduled, then I can't be in my office. I'm, I'm walk into a coach's office I haven't seen in a while or, or you know in the last couple of weeks or if somebody's practicing I try to get to practice but you know I have I have a rule in the department that I don't ever meet with a coach in my office um, I always go try to meet in their offices and get into their environment and make sure I get out and see you know their staffs as well otherwise it's it would be too easy to get broed down in your office if you're there and, and get lost so obviously the, the first couple of years that you were in this role, a uh, huge part of your job was bringing in the right personnel. And you know, we, we have a number of really terrific coaches. I think you know, talking to Coach Fritz tomorrow is always exciting because I always walk away feeling like we're about to run the table. Uh, Dunleavy, Coach Dunleavy sent a couple of people to sign NBA contracts, which is something that we haven't done in a long time. But now that we're you know, a couple of years into your vision for Tulane, what would you say for 2018 and 2019? What are your top two or three priorities for the program that you want to see us execute on? Well, I would say that the thing that the, the non-sexy part of the first couple of years was I'm a big believer that, that our, our ship will sink to the lowest common denominator. So whether it be the compliance staff or the marketing staff or development, you know, if we're not good in one of those areas, you could spike, you could have a great year, but you're going to fall right back down. And so trying to get all those areas built up to support success, get everybody in a position to where uh, we're ready to have success. And, and I, I'm actually bringing a speaker into our staff meeting on the first day of school because in, in some ways we feel like internally, like the foundation is finally there to support success. The coaches are there. We've had a couple of a better years of recruiting to get you know, we fell to our knees in Conference USA, and we're trying to stand up in the American. And it's a totally different, 
you know, we're not nothing against Southern Miss and, 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 and UTEP, but this is, Houston and Memphis are not Southern Miss and UTEP. So trying to climb back up is, is, has really been a struggle. But we feel like we're kind of there on the cusp. And, but I'm bringing a speaker in because I don't want to exhale. You know, sometimes when you feel like, oh, we've gotten to this point, you go, and if you exhale, you're going to fall right back down again. So trying to get everybody not, it's time to take a, even a deeper breath. And because now we're there. Now we have expectate, legitimate expectations. You know, we all expect football to play in the postseason. You know, things happen. I get that. But we have real expectations. You know, men's basketball, a year from now we will schedule as if we are a bubble team in the NCAA tournament. Get to making sure we get the right RPI to get in. This year is another one of those, hey, maybe we could get to the NIT or something goofy. But you know, we're that stage in the build where, again, there's expectations to play when the season is over. So I think coming into the year, that's our big thing. Expectations are legitimate. We all feel comfortable. We, we've all been together now for, for the most part. And it's, it's, it's time to roll, if you will. So we were talking about this when we were walking in. I think one thing that a lot with being a very national fan base, having our fans distributed literally across the country, uh, that a lot of folks were excited for was the home and home with Northwestern and putting a game not just in New Orleans against the Big Ten team, but doing one in Chicago. So just want to get a, a quick preview. What do you see as your scheduling philosophy and, and for the program when it comes to football? One of the Tulane is is an easier schedule. Uh, than a lot of the other schools in our league. One, because everybody wants to come to, to New Orleans. You know, it, it's odd that Oklahoma is playing. You know, it's a two-for-one. It's a two-for-one. They give us a million dollars for the first game, and then it's a home-and-home home after that. Uh, same deal we had with North Carolina in basketball. But to get Oklahoma into our stadium, you know, and the goals of the league are we want to have Power 5 schools in our stadiums because it will only help with our TV contract coming up. But at the same time, I don't... You know, I don't want to play Power Five schools, or Power Five schools aren't going to come necessarily. Alabama's not going to come into our stadium. Auburn's not going to come into our stadium. So, uh, who have we been able to schedule between a, a Duke, uh, uh, Northwestern, Mississippi, Mississippi State, Kansas State? You know, those are all teams that our expectations for our program is we should be able to beat in our own place. And those are games that, that we should be able to go on the road and, and be competitive and or win. So we're trying to play, in general, we would love to have two power fives, one at home, one on the road every year. We'll continue to play an FCS game and then have a good FBS series against a, another group of, of group of four. Now I like to say group of four school. So we entered into a deal with Southern Miss for a, a four-year series. We have the UAB you know, series right now that, that we're in the midst of. So I think a perfect schedule is built out that way. Other than FCS games, we only have, for the next 10 years, we only have one home-and-home home opening left. I think it's a 24-27, <clears throat> and, and we're working on that right now. So a couple of things that you touched on that I think are really important. You know, we talked about the, the Power 5, Power 6 discussion, which is obviously a huge factor. We're at AAC Media Days. It's very clear in the conference's branding. I think one thing, I posted this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, but if you look at every one of the other Power 6 conferences, uh, the AAC plays more non-conference games against Power 6 schools than, than anyone, and it's, it's not even close. What in the, I know you've had some conversations with the other ADs that's part of, of these sessions too. What do you feel like is the major priority right now for the AAC in the next couple of years as they prepare for a new TV contract? Well, the TV contract, everything is about the TV contract. Every decision today, really for the last year or two, 
you know, the, the way we're all trying to schedule. You know, there are a lot of the schools in the league, if they haven't announced it, but there's some great scheduling announcements coming in the league over the next few months. It's all about the TV contract. And, you know, it's not a – I don't think it's too much to say that a lot of our future, as whether it be reputation or whether it be just purely the, the ability to continue to fund – excuse me, fund our programs – at a level that can can compete with Power Fives is contingent on the TV contract, not getting 30 million or 50 million a year like like the uh, like the Big Ten, but certainly not being at 1.9 like it is right now. And so it, you know we're all focused on that. If in our meetings, the first the first 30 to 60 minutes of every meeting is TV update, and we're not in a negotiation window yet. We're getting close to it, but you know the the world of you know, I, I have YouTube TV at home. I have Philo on my phone. Um, you know, how we, how we distribute content, it, you know, it's, you're lying if you say you can predict what it's going to be like in 25, but we're trying to monetize uh, into a world that nobody understands yet. Uh, and even, you know, we have a commissioner who, who neg has negotiated more television deals between ESPN and C CBS than, than every other commissioner in the country times five. But he's going to walk in and, and potentially talk to Facebook and Amazon and Netflix, and, and that's something no one's ever done. And so it's, we're, we're really going into an unknown, but you know, we all want to know what's the, what's the money going to be? What's the money? Because so many institutions are subsidizing athletics at a level that is, is probably not sustainable. Uh, I think there's three or four schools in our league that are subsidizing over $30 million a year. And, and if the economy turns, which it will at some point in time, and, and higher ed gets strapped again, can institutions continue to fund that way? So we've got to be able to generate our own money, and, and this is the, the number one cash cow for us to do it. Looking at the big picture, turning away from football for a second, one of the big announcements this year from the athletics department was the introduction of a new varsity sport, sailing, uh, which might I add, they have the angry wave on the sails, which is some good branding. What goes into kind of launching a new varsity sport. How long was that process? Well, the funny thing was we had a, we had a donor who wanted sailing to be a varsity sport. And, and, had, and we, it was obviously has a long history of club success at Tulane. And the donor was, uh, was offering a little bit of money for that to happen. And I flew to New York basically to convince the donor, here's why it can't happen. And when I walked out of the meeting, I called the president and I said, okay, we need to add sailing and here's why. Uh, the donor basically funded all the ongoing operating costs and doubt it. So, you know, in an environment today where, you, you know, if, we, if you can fund something externally, it can get done tomorrow. And, and so that allowed it to happen in rapid fire. From that meeting to the time that we announced it was less than four months. And it allowed it to happen quickly. And, and as we hired Charles, the new coach, my, my only guidance to him was very few people get a starter program. And just make sure you do everything right because how you ha handle this transition year, which is what we just went through, will decide whether we're going to be competitive nationally in two or three years or six or seven. And he's done everything right from a recruiting standpoint. You know, he, he is coming up here uh, to Newport to a regatta next week. He's, he's you know, the, the club team already was pretty good, but he's recruiting some, some national and international medalists at youth levels to come to Tulane and sail. Uh, so we're in a great position to be competitive at a national level right away. And, you know, coming from Northern Iowa, I, 
I, I know how to get on a bass boat. You know, so that's my experience on the water. Uh, you know, hiring a guy who, who had this expertise. And then what we found is, you know, people have come out of the woodwork. Last night at our event uh, that we had here, uh, of 50 people, 20 of them had a sailing connection. And, and uh, you know, them, them putting their resources into it. Now, sailing is going to lead to a couple of other things. It's, it's, it's the model. I want men's golf. Uh, sailing is going to allow us, from an equity standpoint, to add a male sport. Uh, and it's given us a funding model uh, that I can go out and talk to some of our golf uh, donors about bringing men's golf back. And I hope that happens in the, in the upcoming year. Um, you know, e-gaming, I, I'm big on e-sports. I, I think uh, my other goal for this year is I would love to be able to announce we're going to have a varsity e-sport team by the end of the upcoming academic year. So there's a lot of other, you know, it's, the neat thing about Tulane is there's a chance to grow uh, and a chance to do some things. And sailing gave us a, a great blueprint for how to, how to get something implemented at, at Tulane. Yeah, we're, we're still working on getting our beat writer for the uh, varsity sailing and esports program, but we're excited. We're excited about the, the innovations because that, that is definitely something different than what we've done in the past. You know, e-gaming e is, is, is a bet on the future that, that there are a lot of 10- and 12-year-olds right now that aren't playing baseball, they aren't playing football, and, and when they come, it's not about having a pool of athletes. That pool I don't think ever goes away, but it's about a pool of fans. You know, if they're not playing these sports as young kids, you know, how are they going to engage? Why would they engage at the time they come to college? Let's find something that they're engaged in and get them involved. And I, I think as, as we turn into the 2020s and beyond and those kids start matriculating into college, that I want to, I want to be ahead of the game in, in engagement, an opportunity. And, and I know from a financial standpoint, um, I don't know exactly what the model is going to be. But given the people that are investing in e-gaming, you know, from professional sports, sports owners to being in a couple of bids and uh, involved in a couple of bids in New Orleans for e-gaming events, I know there's revenue potential for it as well, which will help fund all of our operations. So talking some more on the topic of some of the 21st century stuff that, that you guys are doing in the department, you know, we were walking, when we were walking over, we were talking about this. I think one of the things that's really challenging for us as a fan base is that uh, we have so many fans outside of the state of Louisiana who aren't going to be able to come to Yulman every weekend, right? Uh, but I think what's, what's really exciting about the program is that uh, the efforts to use digital to get the story out and tell the narrative. I, I mean, just today, Jonathan Banks is running the Instagram for the football team. I feel like any Tulane fan can, can really get connected to those programs. How much of a priority has that been for you? And, and what do you see that as being uh, not just as a tool for recruiting, but for continuing to develop our fan base? A year before I left Northern Iowa, the, the Missouri Valley Conference had entered into a deal with, with ESPN that basically required us to be able to stream 82 contests a year from, from our institution. We had to have the, the tech staff, we had to have the cameras, we had to have the entire control room. And we had just built that out and we, we were in basically the first six months of that when I left Northern Iowa to come to Tulane. But I already saw what the impact of that was. All of a sudden, you know, we we were, I thought we were branding, we were exposing ourselves better because we were required to do it better than maybe Iowa and Iowa State were because they didn't have to do it or other people did it for them. And it, at Tulane coming in, it, it was perfect because how do we reach you know, New York, Chicago, California, and Texas with an immediate message when you know, maybe the game's on TV, maybe it's not, but how do we keep fans engaged? 
So it, it was priority from day one. Now, one of the priorities I've had is to build out a, a control room, a big time control room that would allow us, you know, we don't use our video boards very well, even on campus, because we don't have a control room. Uh, uh, we can do some basic stuff, but how do we make the in-game experience better with what we can do and then engage people externally? So start everything at its core, everything is about people. And, and technology is still about people. So it's getting the right people in. Um, you know, Andrea Alvarez and, and Katie Morris, and they have done some remarkable things. And we also have a coach, like a football coach, who believes in this as well. And, and so he wasn't resistant to it. He embraced it and pushed us to push it even further, which, which helps. But I think really good people are in place. We, we've bought some equipment. We have, again, you talk about the next year, next two years, that control room project's on the docket with, with the institution because we need it as an institution, let alone athletics, and we all work together. We're gonna get something much bigger and much better out of this than if we, if we acted alone. This has been awesome perspective. A couple last questions. Yeah. So one thing, you know, obviously the hot topic recently has been with the baseball team and the LSU series, which came out yeah. a week or two ago. Uh, I know you were actually personally reaching out to fans on Twitter saying, hey, give me a call, talk about this, which I think for a fan base that uh, historically I think has struggled to stay in contact with the athletic department, that was a, a pretty awesome move for us. I was wondering if you could shed any light on what the state of that series is and what Tulane fans might expect for the future. Well, and I, I went through this at Northern Iowa too, is Iowa and Iowa State quit playing home and home basketball series. And the reason they did it, much the same reason LSU doesn't want to play home and home anymore. Uh, one, there's nothing to gain. I, I look at it first from the LSU perspective because while our fans don't care, when it comes to scheduling, two people have to want to tango. And if one doesn't, then it's not going to happen. You know, we've, we've offered LSU, let's play a neutral football game every X number of years in the Superdome. Let's play a neutral basketball game in Smoothie King Center every year. I've even gone as far as let's, let's rent the Smoothie King Center out, let's play all day. And LSU can play somebody at one time and we'll play somebody else at another time in those off years. But, but just to, to kind of, you know, that would be a great scheduling alliance for Tulane. But if I'm LSU, I understand that's not such a great scheduling alliance because they may have nothing to gain by playing Tulane. So a year ago, uh, we bought loss a series a year ago, and I think it was Travis's relationship with, with Coach Maneri that gave us another year. Uh, you know, this year, there's a lot, a lot of talk about the television and, and, and the fact that we, did, we streamed it, and so that's why LSU doesn't want to play the series anymore. And, and I guess I look at it this way. One... Tulane, you know, whether I'm the AD or somebody else is the AD, Tulane can never give up its rights to play somebody. And if, and if, you know, Oklahoma streamed our football game last year for Pete's sakes, you know, and, and when, when an institution owns its rights, um, it, its obligation is to monetize those rights as best as it can. Now, if LSU wants the game on TV and a condition of them playing us is for the game to be on TV, there is no contract that I've seen anywhere in the country where the visiting team controls the media rights. So I don't, I don't know that that's the case. They may use that as an excuse for not playing the series. I don't know. Uh, they, they sent us an email in, uh, in July or actually mid-June saying, here are the two options. We don't want to play home and home anymore. And, and the, the, basically it was, we can play two home games 
instead of a home game and a road game. And you know, from a financial standpoint, you know, you, we can argue about it, but if if they're going to net eighty thousand dollars on a baseball home game, you know, I I would want to make that decision if I was their athletic director as well. They offered us a four for one. Well, you go, you come up here four years. We'll come to your place every one. That's the same deal they have with Lafayette, with McNeese, and some of the others. And and frankly, we don't look at ourselves in in that light. Uh, and we said no. They offered us to play in the, the we play that neutral game at the Wally Pond of Classic. I said yes to it. And I've got a, I've actually got a little pushback from fans that I wasn't expecting saying yes to that because. You know, if if we could play a neutral game in basketball or a neutral game in football against them, we'd take it in our beat. Uh, now the fact we haven't been playing that series, you know, that's something new. Uh, you know, people think we should turn down the neutral game as well. Now, I think that's more reactionary and, and, and anger at LSU. You know, it's it's a good series for us to play uh, as long as we can play it. I will say this, you know, this because we're in the American now and not Conference USA. Uh, I'm not worried about RPI. We're, you know, we had eight teams in the top 100 of RPI last year. You know, we were in the top 100 with a losing record. Uh, so we're, we got plenty of strength of schedule. Ole Miss is coming in for three this fall uh, or this next spring uh, for a weekend series. Strength of schedule is not going to hurt us one way or another you know, with or without LSU. I'm really disappointed the series went away for one reason, and that is the history uh, there aren't many series out there that have, have stood the test of time like this one did. And, and the fact that our fan base cares about this one more than they care about any of the others. Uh, that said, uh, you know, the one, I guess the one other surprise that came out of it was people thought we wanted the series to go away or that Tulane had a, had a, was complicit in, in not playing the series. And nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, you know, we, you know, this thing got beyond the baseball coaches pretty quick uh, in trying to save it, and it, it, it got to board members at both institutions, it got to legislators uh, in order to try to save it, and, and, it, and it couldn't be saved. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, when, when, the players, when the players at the table change, whenever they change, it, it, may, be able to, it may be able to be salvaged. Uh, but for now, you know, it's, it's very, very disappointing. That's a great perspective. And I do have to note, I think, uh, that five of the last six went to two lanes. So if the school upriver chooses not to come back. <laughs> you know, the, the one thing, I know better than to ever throw that out it, get in my, my personal position. But uh, don't think for a second, and it's the same thing with the basketball series when Iowa, and Iowa State quit playing Northern Iowa and home and home. Uh, when you have nothing to gain and you start losing those games, uh, uh, I, I totally get it from that standpoint. If we had lost five of the, of the last six games and not won five of the last six games, there would be a different outcome right now. There'd be a different outcome. Now that said, uh, you know, there's one other important thing about scheduling. We signed a deal with Southern Miss in football and not with Lafayette. Why? Because we're not recruiting against Southern Miss. In Louisiana, we recruit against Lafayette. And if you lose that game, there is no upside for you. If you win that game, you're expected to win that game, and you, you go in and you recruit in the way that you recruit. If you lose that game, you're recruited against. And, and so I understand 
you know, and not that we're refusing to schedule Lafayette, but I would rather schedule a Southern Miss in football than I would an in-state Louisiana school that we are recruiting against. Well, again, I really appreciate your time. Last question I just want to get yeah. at, just for, for anyone who's following, of course, this year is the 20th anniversary of the 1998 undefeated team. Uh, I believe there's going to be an event, the Nichols game. Uh, can you tell us anything about uh, what you guys might be doing to, to commemorate the team this year? Well, and, and it, the fact that it is the 20th anniversary and Nichols is on 9-8. So September 8, 98, uh, to have the team come back that weekend uh, and, and you know, honor your history. You know, the one thing that, that we're all committed to is trying to honor the history. Willie's done a great job of trying to engage the football alums back in the program. Some of them had felt really disenfranchised. I think he's done a really good job of bringing them back to the fold. But, but uh, you know, we, we need to celebrate what that 98 team did. Uh, and, and if you look at it, there's been 20 years of, I wouldn't even say inconsistent success, but almost no success uh, since they left. And, and, you know, we want to hold that team, even though there's not a kid on our team that we're recruiting right now that was born when that team played. Uh, but we want to show that, hey, at Tulane, it's, it's possible. We want these guys to know that, you know, look who they beat in that year. Uh, you know, regardless of the conference, they, you know, they were playing a lot of the same people we're playing today. Uh, so there's a part of it that helps the program today, part of it that engages the history. But, you know, to, to salute the guys and make sure that we never forget what they did. Uh, I can't tell you how many times since I got to Tulane, everybody's, there's two reference points everybody has that, that are longtime Tulane fans. They talked to 73 and, and shutting out LSU, and they talked to the 98 team. And, and reminding those guys that, that they still are the heart and soul of so much of our fan base. And it's, it's going to be fun to have them back. Now, I doubt Sean can come. You know, he's coaching at South Florida, and they probably aren't going to let him out for that game. But, you know, we talk to Sean every other week, and he's still, he still loves Tulane. But that's the thing with these guys, all these guys we've talked to, they love Tulane too. And there's, there's kind of this mutual adoration and to celebrate you know, what they did. And I'm, I'm not big on what Central Florida did uh, with the whole national champ, you know, the, uh, Campus Connection made some t-shirts up and I think all that's cool and everything. And we're not espousing that they should be national champions or, or anything like that. But you know, they, were, they were unbeaten. And, and they did it in a pretty spectacular way. And, and with, with Coach Bowden and Coach Rich Rod both coming back, Coach Bowden just came back to campus for the first time a couple of years ago. You know, it's, it, it's nice to be able to honor uh, the people who, who really blazed a path that we're trying to follow today. So I want to say a big thank you from all of our listeners for coming and, and giving your perspective. It was great to hear about where we're going this season and where your priorities are. Uh, for anyone listening, if you're not following him already, you can follow uh, Troy Dannon at TU underscore Dannon on Twitter. Must follow. A lot of good information about the program. You got some funny stuff on there, too. There's some, some humor. It's great. So the social media, I get all my news from social media uh, and, and primarily Twitter. And, and I didn't want to use it. You know, some guys use it and just retweet all the stuff about the teams. And our, our institution social media accounts do a really nice job of, of getting the team stuff out there. But I like to use it to have a little bit of fun and, and to try to engage some of the national media in our program and, and, uh, and play with the wave. You know, we, we've, we've had a lot of fun. I was asked in an interview uh, about what three accomplishments am I most proud of since I've, I've been here. And, and the one I always end with is the wave uh, and, and, and the angry wave. And you know, one, that's a part of almost all the social media that I do. 
and we've had so it, we've gotten so much attention out of it, but it it gave us a reason to have a little bit of fun while we were starting the rebuild, and 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 not getting down, you know, because when you start to rebuild, sometimes things go even a little bit lower before they they start to crest up, but that wave got everybody and started having a little bit of fun. Uh, you know, you talk to the alums at the, at the Newport event last night. That's the first thing they want to talk about. Now, we, we win eight football games this, this fall. Uh, they'll want to talk about what bowl game we're going to, and that'll be the first thing they want to talk about. But, but uh, uh, at least it's keeping people engaged. And, and I think everybody in the department has a fun time with our social media. It doesn't get too bogged down. It's not too uh, just you know, very buttoned up. We're, we're having a little bit of fun and, and getting people engaged, and that's, what we're, that's the job right now that we have in the department is get people reengaged with Tulane Athletics. Great speaking with you today. We're all very excited to see where it's going to go. And yeah, that's the best rebrand maybe in the history of college sports. So congrats on that. Troy Dan and everybody, good luck on the golf course today. Thanks. I appreciate it.